1: Today is February 6th, 2019. You are listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes discuss a major cultural event. This week we will be talking about potentially one of the longest worship services ever recorded in history. I'm Morgan Lee, Associate Digital Media Producer here at Christianity Today. And I'm with my co-host, our editor in chief, here at CT, Mark Alley.
0: Good afternoon. How's it going, Mark? Very good, very good. I'm enjoying winter. It's much more calm this week. I think I promised listeners that I would report on whether one can in 50 50 degree wind chill, negative 50 degree wind chill. Whether if one spits, it freezes before it hits the ground. It does not.
1: It's not. Do you know why it does not?
0: I think it's because it's not negative fifty degrees.
1: <laughs> ah. <laughs> in okay. reality.
0: Although I saw my co host here throwing pots of boiling water up in the air during that same day and it was amazing to watch it mystify.
1: Did you know I actually also tried it with food coloring and but unfortunately the thing does not turn into mist. It's a little disappointing. Oh. I was hoping it would, but that it would doesn't. Be pretty. It yeah, could I know, be right? Beautiful.
0: It could be a new art form.
1: Exactly. All right. Who is joining us today?
0: Joining us today is Axel Vickor. He is a pastor at the Bethel Community Center in the Hague West in the Netherlands. And he's a really important guest for us to have, as uh, Morgan will soon explain. He's a perfect guest for us to have.
1: Hi, Axel. How are you? Fine. Thank you. Uh, You know, I just read this article about the Netherlands, about biking there, which, of course, I know is a huge thing that I'm sure you're quite aware that your country is well known for. But Mark and I like to bike a lot, and I'm assuming that you fall in that category as well?
2: Definitely. I don't even have a car. I never owned a car. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all of my uh, traveling, all of my, uh, uh, yeah, business things by bike.
1: Mark has told me he intends to sell his car <laughs> as a result of the great influence that I've had on him. <laughs>
0: yeah, this is a complete lie. Morgan is the biker. <laughs> I'm the person that has a bike in my garage that's collecting dust. So let's be. F- you, you bike around like ten, what? Ten
1: days a week. Ten days a year. Well, to
0: work. Yeah. Yeah whatever. Back in the day, I did it for one whole year through the winter. All right. All right. So that was, I felt rightfully proud of that because I had to buy snow tires for my bike and everything.
1: Actually, I have a a question. Do you wear a helmet? Because the article that I read said that Dutch people don't wear helmets when they bike.
2: That's true. I don't have a helmet, no. All right. And and this is also uh, pretty peculiar of the Netherlands because Everyone in traffic, all, also all the cars, they are used to bicycles everywhere. So everyone looks out for them. So that's why, even without a helmet, it's one of the safest places in the world to uh, to bike. Actually, I, I'm I'm German by origin. I come from Berlin, uh, and in Berlin, I will definitely use a helmet. Because uh, uh, yeah, it, I mean, uh, there's also quite good infra- infrastructure for for bicycles in Berlin, but uh, the 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 people driving cars there are not used to bicycles as much as people here. So uh, it's much more dangerous to to bike there. And and here it's not a problem. I mean, even my little 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 children, like eight and three three years old, they don't have a helmet.
0: There you go, freedom, baby. In Chicago, of course, uh, that. Uh, of the times I've fallen, two—I think—two of the times had to do with slippery conditions, and I whacked my head pretty hard. Fortunately, I had a helmet on, but otherwise, I'm pretty sure I would have had a concussion.
1: Well, this is not a biking podcast, unfortunately, <laughs> though it could—it could, it could turn into that. I would not be sad if it did, but we do have a really good story, and I do want to talk about it with everyone. So let's get into it. All right, for nearly 100 days, more than 500 Dutch pastors across cross-denomination gathered at the Bethel Community Center for a continuous worship service. Why? To protect a refugee family from deportation. I'm going to read from our own reporting about this incident. The Dutch government is generally prohibited from interrupting religious services, so the Protestant congregation kept extending their gathering during the debate over family asylum or kinder pardon. Last week, officials agreed to allow the Armenian family at Bethel, along with 700 others who have lived in the country for more than a decade, to have their cases reviewed again rather than facing immediate expulsion. This week on Quick to Listen, we'd like to discuss how this service got started and what type of impact it might have on the Christian community in the Netherlands long term. All right, Mark. Let's do a gut check. This is actually kind of a cool story to do a gut check on. Sometimes we just only pick like terrible things.
0: Like Terrible things we feel badly about. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. But let me hear, let me hear what you are. Oh yeah.
0: Well, so my, my heart pumped with pride for, uh, for a good part of this story and for the whole story, actually, because I, as you know, I'm, I don't have much patience with people who protest, whose sole form of protest or trying to work for uh, change in our society is to either, uh, Stand in a protest and raise a sign, which you know it has some uses, but here is a group of people who actually made some made a commitment that took time, energy effort, money, and uh, perseverance to uh, help work for some social justice and that's That's just so impressive.
1: what I thought was kind of interesting about this story is that the very way that they could figure out to stop this family from being deported was to have a worship service itself,
0: yeah, so it sort of combines uh a lot of elements of what it means to be a Christian, to advocate for justice, to worship the Lord our God. Yes. But like
1: almost like these churches weren't giving like, really another option about how they wanted to protest, yeah, right, right? Right. It would be like, cool to like, draft legislation like that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, if you don't want that to happen... I think
0: that's either that's a custom or a law in the United States that uh, officials aren't, aren't permitted to go in w- houses of worship, but I don't know that for a fact. But I know some churches have used that as a way to protect some some immigrants coming across the border back in the day.
1: And yet the story was like kind of even cooler and more unique in some ways because it wasn't just the church building. It was the fact that they had to have this like continuous worship service.
0: And it was uh across denominations as well. Yeah.
1: This is Mark's type of story. <laughs> Loves Christian unity on display. I'm not so cynical, but you do love this. Type I do. Of
0: thing. I talk about it all the time. To to no avail most of the time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, Axel, what a treat to have you on the show to talk about what you've been getting to see up close and personal. And so I want to first just ask you about how this particular Armenian family got in touch with Bethel.
2: They were in in the Netherlands already for nine years. And uh, uh, during the whole time, their asylum procedure was ongoing and was uh, continuously also delayed, uh, mainly by the government appealing positive, positive decisions by different courts. But, like, the highest court, actually, was the first one to reject their asylum plea. Then they, they made the plea for this kinder pardon, this child amnesty, actually, which usually should protect all the families with children who have been in the Netherlands for longer than five years. Like, two of these children, they are, they are now grown up, but they're still a little uh, a smaller smaller brother, sibling, uh, uh, Zehra, Z- Z- he's 14 and uh, got to Netherlands when he was five. And so for him, this family applied for, for a kinder pardon for this child amnesty. And that also got rejected as in 94% of the cases, which is pretty strange because the, the group, it should be protecting, it doesn't protect because there are little little uh, uh, rules attached that you only can be granted this child asylum when you have worked with the authority to be to to, to get deported actually, which is kind of self contradictory. But in, in some cases, the very fact that you apply for a children's asylum was the reason that you got rejected.
0: Hmm. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's,
2: quite, it's quite quite Kafkaesque. But like the, <laughs> the rules and also also like the the, the government, uh, principally appealing all positive court decisions. Is mainly to to depress numbers of people being allowed to stay. So uh, the, the the Protestant Church uh, already for a long time in the Netherlands has have protested against that, and have have, have said that yeah, that that's unjust, that's inhumane, especially because a lot of scientists have 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 attested to the fact that it's traumatizing children actually children who are sometimes born in the, in the Netherlands who have been here for a very long time and they get uh, disrupted in their development and get traumatized for life if you deport them after such a long time. But this particular family was living uh, asylums, shelter, when this last resort, this children, Kinderpardon, got rejected. And they actually moved into their own parish that is in Katwijk, quite nearby the Hague, at the coast, uh, uh, which is a small, uh, reformed church parish we got to know them in the last 3 months quite well but uh, in the small village they didn't have the means to protect them with an ongoing church service so actually how we got in contact with them i i i i was uh, like like a volunteer in in there, like who was was helping them actually called me of the night where they actually expected the authorities to hold them out of the church and to put them into deportation uh, uh, prison. He called me, actually, and told me, yeah, this, the, this family will be hauled out of, out of this church probably even this night. Can they move there now, actually, more or less? An hour later, we got, we got the green light that, 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 it's, that, it's still, that, that, that the deportation was delayed. So we, had, we still had a day or two to think about how we're going to protect them the Protestant Church of the Hague, which ended up organizing this uh, church asylum, uh, gave the Green Light to actually do that, actually moved into into, into this community center and we, we directly started with the service because, yeah, like legally, that's the only safe uh, and waterproof way to protect uh, asylum seekers in churches is to have, yeah, to have a continuous church service. The chief minister of the Hague, uh, uh, welcomed them together with myself in uh, this parish, uh, in in this building, uh, uh, with with the service of like something like an hour, and uh, then actually uh, I and some some parish members took over the very simple uh, yeah Tze prayer. We've got a Tze prayer already for ten years in this in this building, uh, weekly. Uh, uh, and in the night before, I just copy and pasted like 500 liturgies of the last <laughs> 10 years into one, into one document, singing and having silence and, 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 and reading the Bible in this TZ kind of way, until the organizers ha- had uh, like prepared a Google Doc, uh, uh, which could be shared uh, in the Church of the Netherlands and also uh, abroad. And uh, the first uh, volunteers uh, were 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 being found. To, to 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 actually take over. So this this was how it started with a quite empty uh, roster, and this this filled very very quickly. Like when we started, I I, I thought well I I will be happy if we you know uh, if if we can do that for one week because the the Central Protestant Church of the Netherlands they uh, very quickly signaled their support and also uh, spread the news and and like wrote an email to all the pastors of the Protestant Church to uh, uh please participate in this effort The priests and pastors and and, and lay and lay people took the effort of, of, of putting themselves on the on this roster and uh, uh, participated
0: and uh, when you talk about the the Protestant church at The Hague is that the international church
2: no the Protestant Church of The Hague uh, is a subsidiary of the Protestant Church of the Netherlands which uh, formed in 2005. The church landscape in the Netherlands, but it's quite fragmented, especially for myself. Again, I'm I'm from Germany, where there is like two churches: the Protestant <laughs> and the Catholic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in the Netherlands, there's a quite familiar joke that you have to put two Dutch people into one room uh, for one hour, and you've got three churches. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a good joke. So this joke actually ended in 2005. Where a lot of small Protestant churches uh, uh, said, Well, uh, this separation thing, it has to end. We have to form a big tent uh, of the Protestant church, like from the Lutheran to the Reformed. Not all of them, but most of the small churches actually got together to form the PKN, the Protestantse Protest- Kerk in, in, in Nederland, so the Protestant Church of the Netherlands, and the local uh, subsidiary uh, in The Hague is the Protestant Church of, of The Hague. But talking about international churches, also lots of international churches in The Hague and also uh, in other parts of, uh, in, of of the Netherlands participated. So we also had services in English, in, in French, in German of this ongoing uh, church service. Okay.
1: So, Axel, I did want to just mention that it was nice that you mentioned Teze, because I went there back in November, and I have a great appreciation for the music. When I think you, it's... When
0: you would say there, you mean...
1: Tzay France.
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Make that clear. Yep. Because <laughs> that's pretty impressive. That's pretty awesome.
1: I was in France, and I sang Tzay. But I think Tzay music is actually uniquely designed to sing for a very long period of time. So.
2: That's definitely yes, yes. I I, I, I wouldn't have been a Christian if if not for Tzay. I mean, it's it's quite it's quite uh, an important place in my biography. Ah.
1: Okay. That's awesome. So, question then: You had this spread, this Google Doc spreadsheet that you said that people were filling out. Did everything kind of go as planned? Did the pastors who had signed up come and do their services? Did they bring people from their churches, or were there any kind of hiccups that happened along the way?
2: In and, a and service lasting for two thousand three hundred and six hours, of course there. <laughs> It, it was it was quite quite for most of the time it was quite spontaneous. Uh, you never you never were sure what 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 to encounter when you go to to to, to Bethel, and of course also there were pastors being caught up in traffic or or uh, their car broke down or or, or whatever. But they were always always like round the clock. There were there, there was a coordinator like somebody who opens the door and closes it again afterwards because like. It wasn't Fort Knox, but you know we couldn't leave the door open because, like, yeah, we 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 had, we had to be sure who's inside, so you had to also like fill in a list, you know, who you are when you enter, when you leave, but and, and these coordinators uh, like uh, as as time went by, they uh, yeah got more and more professional. Like we had a central database with all the all the uh, the, the the contact data. So if somebody, uh, you know, was delayed or, 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 or had to turn up more early, we could contact them. They actually could, uh, had, a, had a list uh, of people in the neighborhood to like quickly, uh, uh, get to battle if, you know, somebody fell out or if there were not enough uh, attendees, because, you know, there's not only like somebody already always necessary to leave the service, but there were also a minimum of two listeners already, uh, always compulsory. So to, oh, you know, to okay, they, they also even like all through the night, there always had to be a minimum of two people uh, listening to the, or, or, or attending the service. Actually, so uh, there there was there was also like a WhatsApp group uh, uh, who could who could be who could be uh, you know alerted. Oh, there are only you know three people left in the church. Maybe you can come. <laughs> with, stuff like
0: that. Yeah, I was going to ask funny. about that. When did people? What happened when people wanted to sleep? So yeah, that solves that. That answers that question. Yeah.
2: I'm now quite familiar with who who of my parish members are night persons. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I, I know that actually quite well at the moment. You know, there are parish members at 86 who told me, "Oh, yeah, last night I couldn't sleep anymore at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I just went to church." You know, so, <laughs> so huh. this, this 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 is quite quite nice if you've got this possibility. You know, to to have an ongoing church service 24 seven. You can always attend. The 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 reason why to do it was quite sad actually, or was quite depressing that it's necessary to do this, but it was also a, a really a really big gift to this parish and to and and to the church in The Hague because I, I still get messages along the line that finally I know why there is a church, you know, a very fundamental way of of recognizing oh that's what the church is for, you know. A very, a very basic way of showing uh, uh, mercy, of of showing neighbourly love, and people understood that. There were many parish members actually, you know, who who visit my services almost every Sunday, who told me, you know, don't be offended, but you know, in in Bethel, I finally feel what it means to serve, to 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 have, to have a service. I mean, it 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 was it was just much more urgent. Almost every Sunday we pray for. Like uh, uh, refugees, but by praying for refugees, we did something for refugees. The, the prayer and the deed actually fell in one. Uh, uh, many, many readings of the Bibles of the Bible sounded very different in this service. Psalm eighty-four, something like that. You, your house, Lord, is my shelter. If you pray this in a usual service. You say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's nice to be here, you know. <laughs> but if you pray this in this ongoing church service in Bethel, it's it's just much more urgent.
1: I'm really loving everything that you're having to say. So I, I have some more questions just about um, kind of this energy that you were feeling. So. When you were looking at the the signups of who was agreeing to be on this list, were there any churches or denominations that you were like really pleasantly surprised that they were there, that you maybe didn't think that they would have come, but you were like, wow, they decided to participate as well?
2: Uh, Lots of them, actually. Like uh, on on the very first day, I mean, um, I've got one parish member who was was also a a pastor. Uh, uh, He is already... Almost ninety years old, but he was like my predecessor in 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 this parish in the in the in the seventies and eighties. We really get along well together, uh, as long as we don't talk theology. <laughs> he he is actually being referred by some newspapers as 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 the Christian Taliban, uh, which is of course not a, not a very nice way to say that. But I can understand why they do that because he's really really very reactionary and very very conservative and. He was one of the first one agreeing to, you know, just spontaneously, as an almost 90 year old pastor, to in the for, on the first day, to hold a service of three hours, you know, uh, while while people were still looking for volunteers, you know, and and, and of course I'm I'm I don't want to know what he was preaching about or what he was saying there, but he, <laughs> but, he, but, he, but he came, you know. A lot of these, yeah, very conservative uh, evangelical Pentecostal churches, pronounced, you know, we are in this world but not a part of this world. So they abstain for any, from any kind of political or societal uh, uh, um, a question. They all participated. I was more often uh, surprised actually than not. The, the Roman Catholic, uh, like the bishops, they didn't participate themselves. But you know, but still, there were many priests, like Catholic priests, uh, who, in, even in this Protestant Protestant building, you know, they they, they helped the held Eucharist. You don't, they didn't ask, you know, if all these people attending the Eucharist were also Catholic. You know, all the all all the rules, all the dogmatics, flew out the window almost on the first day. Uh, people actually handed over the service, like in the full full hour, we all always, always handed over to the next one. And uh, I, I very often witnessed that, uh, like, there was one pastor handing over the service to a different one, and they would never even talk to each other, like, in daily life, because, because their churches had, had, had a very violent or very sad uh, way of, you know, parting ways with each other, like 20 or 30 years ago but still in the church asylum they could easily work together and this, this this there were many 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 instances like where people were actually crying in the church because they never thought this was possible like all, almost a thousand uh, 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 pastors and, and and priests and and uh, it's it's quite extraordinary that this was uh, possible, uh, uh, like there were there were even a couple of a couple of uh, uh, passes from the from the United States, flying over oh, to, that to, that. to to uh, participate in the service uh, Mennonites and they, and and uh, from Germany, from, from England, from uh, Belgium, from France. Uh, uh, it, uh, yeah, it it was it was quite impressive.
3: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith. Because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
0: I've, I think I've mentioned on the show before in our uh, divisions about immigration in our own country, I've often been surprised by people who are uh, both politically and theologically conservative. They want us to put the brakes on immigration, but uh, some of these very people are on committees in their church to help sponsor immigrants or refugees that are already here. <laughs> so you can't necessarily pigeonhole someone uh, in terms of their what they're going to do in a situation like that.
2: Revolving around a political question concerning families with children who are already here for a very long time and this is ve- this is very very different uh, than the uh, compared to the questions like uh, if if we have to open our borders or something like yeah, that because exactly. people are already here you know? yeah they are very well integrated like like two of these children they are studying at, at dutch universities you know all of these children could talk german to, me, to 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 me because they learned german at school here you know their Dutch is more fluent than their Armenian, you know, so it's very demonstrable that they are very, very well integrated, they are rooted in Dutch society, but still, like for the whole nine years that they are here, they could never plan their future. They could never say, "Well, these friends I have now i'm not I, I will definitely also still still see them when i'm when I'm sixty, you know because they never was were sure whether they could stay, and this is very basic, and you can feel that people even who are like right being politically they can empathize with this like basic assumption you know that people you cannot live let let people live in uncertainty and in fear for such a long time without them being damaged and everyone understands that
1: I'm curious what type of reception this worship service had on young dutch people and if it made some type of impression on them that you maybe haven't seen that the church has done overall
2: I've never seen so many young people attending church service as in this church asylum. The Netherlands is the most secularized country worldwide. Uh, like in The Hague, uh, Christians are, I think, at number five. There are more Muslims. There are more, of course, more atheists. That that's number one. Then there are more Muslims. There are even more Buddhists in The Hague than Christians. Wow! And the people uh, uh, attending church, still being being active in church, they are mainly of the older generation, like sixty, seventy, eighty plus. We always prepare for Sundays. We we have some a little group of families with children, but more often than not, none of them come. So what we prepare for the children, we can you know throw out of the window again because there are no children. In this particular circumstances, you know when when people realized this is for something like a concrete political question, where I'm also very involved in and you know people know other refugee children they, they, they go to school with them they go to university with them this is a bigger group than only this family there are about 700 families where, uh, of asylum seekers with children in the netherlands already for five years or longer and they all have a network if you think about it you can understand it that uh, there were many, many young people uh, in Bethel almost around the clock, and of course especially during the night, because this was always the the most difficult time to fill.
1: I don't know what type of reception Christians get by the Dutch public at large, but I'm I'm wondering if you think that this church service at all changed how the, the public or the media views Christians?
2: In the media, actually, very funny one, when, when I started uh, working here, like after two years, uh, you have to have a compulsory uh, like training for like young pastors. And one of these courses I had to take was the contacts with the media. And we got a very long li- list of actually radio and television programs. Just in case if, you know, once in your career, you get contacted by one of these stations or one of these television programs whatever they want just decline don't go there <laughs> because you only you're, you're only invited as the crazy puppet you're only invited so people can laugh about somebody oh yeah that, that 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 that's that's the crazy one with the imaginary friend stuff like that so this is this is the baseline in in the netherlands but of course it, with this church asylum actually uh, i i noticed that that uh, tv programs or or the media they got it they got why we were doing that And they even, yeah, sometimes rushingly had to show that they respect that you do that. I'm from Germany and, like, uh, just picture the situation that I'm sitting in a train and and I get to talk with somebody and uh, they ask, well, what, what do you do professionally? In Germany, I would actually sometimes consider to say that I'm whatever, a philosopher or whatever, because I'm not... Keen on like a, a long line of anecdotes, why the church
0: <laughs> exactly um, I was a pastor once I get it or yeah, they it, or they yeah. clean up their language and all of a sudden, yeah, then yeah, you can't exactly. they can't talk about certain things all of a sudden, yeah
2: that's right, that's right, like then you get a litany, you know what the pastor did wrong at the funeral of my grandmother and stuff like that, <laughs> but uh, I, I quickly learned actually that in the Netherlands that's not necessary. Uh, you know, um, uh, very often, you know, you, you you get to talk with people in the, in the public transport or, or on the street, and when you mention that you are a pastor, people are really curious because they are they are much more uh, uh, distance from the church, and they actually oh I never I never met a pastor actually what do you do during <laughs> the you know I, 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 I only are I, you I only working on Sundays so that, you know so people are really interested. Uh, uh, what? What? Uh, and and do you really believe all this? You know. <laughs> uh, 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 so a, a big difference uh, uh, in this very very secularized country that people cannot really imagine what a pastor actually does in daily life.
3: This episode of Quick to Listen is brought to you in part by Libromania, a podcast for book lovers from the Close Reads Podcast Network. Through conversations with contemporary novelists, poets, and biographers, as well as collectors, designers, and others, Libromania is for the person who believes that good books are an essential part of the good life. David, why don't you start just by sort of summarizing who you are and what you guys are doing? So I am David Kern,
0: and my main day job is as a media person for the Cersei Institute. We are an education nonprofit, and we produce a lot of different media in support of educators of all different kinds. And the Close Reads Podcast Network is our main network that comes out of that. And there's four or five shows there with a couple of different
3: seasonal shows. So give me a quick overview of this particular podcast, Libromania the conceit, I guess, was people who consider themselves bookish like books for all kinds of different reasons, right? People who love books talk about how much they love the smell of books,
0: right? And then there's people who love books collect books. People who love books love bookstores. They love book design.
3: So we want to have a way to talk about things like book design or book layout or book collecting or running a bookstore. For more information, go to closereadspods.com or subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you dial up your favorite podcasts.
1: So we, we actually talked about today a couple minutes ago, which I think of this as a huge example of ecumenism. I, I'm curious, Axel, what has this experience taught you about, you know, church unity?
2: So a thought occurring very often is that, you know, mercy is connecting. Of being merciful connects people. It's this basic experience that all the differences, all the theological um, discussions, all the, the talk about us versus them, you know, flies out the window once. You know, uh, somebody knocks at the door. Like basic uh, feeling. Um, we, we, we we I stopped counting how many services were being held about the Good Samaritan. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so, 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 some sometimes uh, a pastor opened its serv- his or her service and saying, "Well." Um, I heard through the door when I was pre- when I was putting up on my gown that, that the pastor before me was also preaching about the good Samaritan. That's actually also the subject I was prepared. I <laughs> hope so you don't mind, you know? So, so everyone came up with this story it, that you have to be moved by uh, uh people in need. It doesn't matter what kind of, of of confession or what kind of church membership card you have. Uh this is very ecumenical to just do good for people in need. I was very much hope that this also bears fruit in the future. My basic assumption, I mean, I'm, I, I'm German. I witnessed, witnessed the fall of the of, of of the wall, which you know started in church buildings. So uh, my my basic assumption is all has always been that a, a church has to be on the forefront. Of political resistance, if you if if, if you will, or of of uh, political uh, change, uh, uh, and not like you know always putting the feet on the brake, but because because if if it's really moving like ahead with the subjects concerning church, you know poverty, inequality, uh, discrimination, racism, stuff like that, then it gets relevant for people, uh, and then people get what we are standing for. And this is actually what every single email, every single message I get from from people in the church, but also from outside of the church, uh, shows me again that people suddenly realize that's the reason why we have a church. That's what they stand for. That that way they show us as a society what actually being merciful means. I'm I'm very hopeful that this will also, uh, you know, be remembered the next time, that there will be a political or or societal question surrounding people in need and the church yeah thinks about getting involved
1: Axel how did this um change or affect your own faith in god
2: I was very very moved by the by the power of prayer actually I mean, uh, of course, it's quite—it's—it's it's a quite big thing, uh, you know. Living just a couple of hundred of meter, hundred of meters uh, next to a church where, like, people are praying already for two or three months, like nonstop. stop There are hardly any any Christians living in this small street where where Bethel is is localised. But I always saw neighbours. Sitting in this church, even 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 during the night. I mean, uh, they suddenly got involved. I I, I got like, a couple of weeks in. One of, one of my Twitter followers in the Hague uh, uh, who always prefaced their messages to me. Yeah, I'm not a Christian, but you know, <laughs> uh, I've got a question. You know, or I I don't believe, but can you tell me that about it? No, she actually asked me. Well. Uh, my fourteen-year-old uh, daughter, uh, she, she got a children's Bible for her birthday last year, and you know, I'm not, I'm not believing, but you know, I can read stories in the Bible. Can I also, you know, contribute to the service?
0: Huh. How about
3: that?
2: It was, it was a bit tricky because we didn't want to uh, advertise, you know, that there are also like unbelieving people leading the service, because there was, already, of of course, a little bit of criticism in the conservative corner of the protestant church yeah this is not really a service and we didn't really want to put a lot of wind in this in these sails but still it was so moving that even you know like people not being involved in the church in any way they suddenly want wanted to lead a service you know i mean this is not somebody you know entering a service for i don't know a marriage of a friend or whatever but you know Preparing themselves for a week you know to to actually lead uh, uh, lead a service for an hour or two, if something like this church asylum is so powerful that it moves people in this way, yeah I mean the prayer is quite strong i mean I mean when we concluded last Wednesday somebody sitting next to me uh uh, uh yeah uh, asked me well uh, I mean if this is possible, you know what's impossible actually you know I mean, I mean there was one of one of the biggest political parties in the Netherlands changed course on this aspect, and this is actually why why we could end you know this is one of one of the coalition partners, actually a Christian party, but still you know conservative Christian, so they were always against this kinder pardon yeah, and they didn't want many many foreigners in in the country, but mainly because of this church asylum. Uh, This old traditional party changed course. I mean, if prayer can do that, what's possible?
1: When things did come to an end last Wednesday, you know, it's been about a week since this has stopped. What are you thinking about? What are the conversations that you've had? What is the general reaction being now that your life is kind of going back to normal, but maybe there's actually a new normal?
2: Yeah, I actually have to have to find a new. Uh, what what am I going to do actually? <laughs> because uh, yeah, it, it it has been quite immersing, of course, and and still people you know stop me or stop the other organizers on the street to congratulate us. It's still quite uh, moving that everyone wants wants to talk about that, uh, because it hasn't been any kind of of reason w- to do this. Like you know, people ask me, are you now in the Guinness Book of Records or something like that, or you know. Was there, you know, in the church history of 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 Netherlands, uh, 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 something being recorded like this world widely? I mean, I mean, it's it's I I don't think so actually. That you know, uh, was it was very very surreal, you know, to suddenly see the inside of your small, you know, neighborhood chapel on the front page of the New York Times. <laughs> so it, 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 amazing that 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 this this has caught the attention of so many people, and it also was so inspiring. Difficult to put words to that. Actually, that 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 you know uh, the, the the family has has today actually left uh, the building. We are still in contact, of course. On Sunday we have, we have got a big thank you service and a big party actually in the biggest church of the Hague. I mean, battle is much too small for that. So all the thousand pastors and all the people involved got invited, and this will be a big happening on Sunday afternoon. And the organization of this church asylum still has to, you know, make up the balance also theologically, uh, financially also because lots of costs are also involved they will will definitely also like being uh, like researchers and uh, yeah uh, doing the PhD on this church asylum or whatever so this will definitely have a long tail of, of consequences It's still beggar's belief actually for myself even that it's finished now and and, and, and also finished in mainly uh, no positive way I mean you know this is a political compromise so there are also some some drawbacks. You know the the biggest the biggest coalition partner didn't accept uh, uh, the the change of this of this law uh, without uh, you know being uh, get, get, getting getting paid in a different way. So you know the the cost being paid for instance is that the Netherlands uh, uh, will accept 250 refugees less each year from now on. So and this is like very vulnerable people. So it's not only good news, uh, but uh, uh, like this this uh, group of people we did it for, like the, the uh, church, uh, the, the this asylum seekers with children, the families, they are uh, for the most part now uh, they they can now plan for the for the future here, and this is a really really big uh, a plus a plus for us.
1: And I'm sure that you had people who were very happy that this. Party changed their mind, but had probably signed up to themselves lead services as well.
2: Yes, not not to say that there were any discussions, even even within the church. There was also even in my parish. Actually, there were people who didn't agree that we do that. Uh, but but it's it, it was it was mainly mainly the resistance was mainly more with the form than with the with 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 the subject. Like, do you have to employ a search service to do that? You know, isn't that a misuse of, of a church service? You know, to use a church service so to, to thwart thwart that the law is being carried out. I always answered, well, come, you know, see if we fake it. <laughs> uh uh that, that was my basic my, my, my basic reply. There is no other way. You know, we had a family knocking on our door, a family who who, who once they will be deported, actually face danger of being killed. Uh, And the only way of protecting them is actually to do what we do best, you know, holding services, praying, uh, uh, worshipping. And what's wrong with that? And everyone who actually came by and looked if we faked it went away uh, with resolution that this is a service. This is actually more, even more a service than the usual Sunday service.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this, Axel, with our listeners. It was just really outstanding to hear you give some more details about everything that's been going on in The Hague and the Netherlands. If people have feedback, they can leave that with us over email. We're at podcasts at com. We are also on Twitter at CT Podcasts. Now is the time of the show where we remind everyone that if they would like to continue to make Christianity Today possible, they can do that by becoming a subscriber of Christianity Today, our magazine. Mark, I think you, you know, have a number of stories that you liked in our January-February issue, but there was an interview in particular you thought was interesting and had some good food for thought for our readers.
0: Yeah, and it happens to coincide with uh, a topic of our show today. Uh, Andy Olson, our fine, fine, managing editor of our print edition, interviewed the president of International Justice Mission, which is one of the most effective and faithful uh, organizations in the world today, seeking justice for people all across the world in Christ's name. And the title is Abolitionism at the Tipping Point, and uh, the the president and the organization, and many people believe that uh, with more concerted effort... uh, Worldwide slavery can take a world global dip, significant global dip. So if you don't know about International Justice Mission, you should know more. If you don't know about uh, what they think and how they operate and what their president thinks, you ought to be reading this interview because it's really good. Uh, Andy actually used to work for them. So it's an insider interview. So he asks some questions that are a little more thoughtful and deep than a person who wasn't a part of that organization. So that's in the Jan Feb issue. Encourage you to look at that.
1: All right. So if you'd like to read that particular interview, which, you know, Mark was saying you should know what their work is. There are some people, too, who think that their work is mainly about sex trafficking. And that is an important part of the work that they do, but that is definitely not the only thing that they do. And I think that this interview gives a good sense of just the scope of what they're trying to do, whether it's working with governments or multinationals or trying to affect supply chains. I found that interview pretty informative. So... You can do that by becoming a subscriber. That's orderct.com slash quick to listen, orderct.com slash quick to listen. Thank you, everyone who supports our show. We know that you're out there. We really appreciate it. All right. We are going to do Precious Moments now, which is when everyone gets to share something that is bringing them joy from the past week. Go ahead, Mark.
0: Well, like many Americans, we celebrated the high and holy day this Sunday of Super Bowl Sunday in the evening by having a party at our house. But uh, a hat tip goes to my wife, who holds the most incredible parties ever. She starts preparing for a Super Bowl party the day before cooking, starting cooking the day before. So generally, we have more than enough food, and we have good friends over, and we have good conversations, and as I like to say... I've discovered my spiritual gift having married wife, my wife. I was really lost as to what it was.
1: What, it's because eating she, her, good food?
0: No, her her spiritual gift is hospitality. No question about it. Hands down, nobody would disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've discovered that my, my spiritual gift is uh, it's either vacuuming or doing dishes. One of the two.
1: It's a real spiritual gift. Too. It is. I'm not being sarcastic. Someone has to clean up. <laughs> I know. And often the person that was hosting is exhausted from is doing
0: exhausted. That. Right.
1: I will say, Mark, that I went, also went to a Super Bowl party too, and I was like, I didn't care at all that the game was so boring because that the conversation. Game was
0: incredibly interesting.
1: <laughs> the game was really boring, and I didn't care because. The battle like,
0: is really interesting. Okay. All right, all right.
1: Well, I needless to say, I had just like really good conversations with the people that I was with, so it didn't matter.
0: Yeah, we had friends over who we've been friends with for 30 years you know, 20, 28, 30 years. It was a night. Nice, it was just a nice chance to be together.
1: All right. So people can find you and your thoughts
0: at the galley report, G A L L I report, which you can find at Christianity com slash the galley report, in which I link to articles that I find interesting. And apparently a number of other people do as well. So check it out and see if that applies to you.
2: All right, Axel, what about you? Well, uh, no super bowl here. <laughs> um, it's, it's not really a European thing. I mean, uh, of course a lot of people watch it as well but uh, it's in the in the middle of the night
1: yeah but you're used to staying up to the middle of the night now that,
2: that, 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 that's true but uh, uh, yeah not 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 for american <laughs> football uh, i'm sorry about sorry about that uh, uh, although i have to agree that the defensive battles are very very interesting but then i would recur to soccer um... <laughs> fair but yeah, I mean, if, if you're talking about last week, uh, uh, of course nothing nothing uh, tops uh, the end of this church asylum for me. The moment actually, I got the call, I was I was sitting here with with, with a parish member in, in, in my place talking about Tizi actually because he wants to he wants to go there. Somebody from the organization called me uh, and told me that like two hours later we will end the church, asylum. I actually had to sit down. I expected it. I was actually uh, intentionally uh, attending the service the, the night before because I was expecting maybe it was will be, will be the last night, because of this uh, uh, new uh, com- political compromise being 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 uh, implemented. Still, we didn't we didn't now know how the, the Parliament will react if this if this change of the law will actually go, get, get through. Yeah, the moment the family got this guarantee, the organization of this church and decided to end it. And uh, uh, they called a couple of people to be there when the service ends. As I was there when uh, when the service started, uh, they uh, also wanted me to attend. So this was, this was quite a moment, actually. Uh, and actually also uh, one I didn't really expect like a week before even. Uh, everyone was quite doubtful if that uh yeah will end soon or if like the the, the this political impasse will, will, will be over soon so uh uh we were we, we we were very very thankful it was a very emotional service yeah everyone was crying i mean it it was it was quite quite uh, emotional yes. Hmm.
1: Well thank you for sharing all of this. Are, are you on social media? Do you have a website? Is there a place people can find you online?
2: Uh I'm I'm on Twitter, uh Z-I-A-X.
1: All right. So my precious moment, as many people know, I am a volunteer tutor slash teacher at citizenship class here. And we got to talk about George Washington. I think that my the place that I volunteer it does a really good job helping people pass the test, but I don't always know if they do a great job of teaching them American history. But that's okay because I really like teaching American history. And really like helping my students, many of whom really don't speak English that well. They're getting to take the test in Spanish. And so that's how they ended up in my class. But they've often been here for a while. I like getting a chance to kind of teach them more about American history and culture. So, for instance, I had to explain to them what the Super Bowl was because many of them didn't know what it was. And I told them they had to watch it.
0: You can't be an American without knowing that.
1: That's how I felt. I was like, (laughs) you need to know what this is. This is just as important as George Washington. I didn't say that, but I thought that. And it was also really fun, too, because since we were doing George Washington, we talked a lot about whose faces were on all the different coins and dollar bills. And then in Chicago, at least, there's a lot of streets that are named after the U.S. presidents. And so just trying to make connections between some of the other stuff that we're going through in class and the world that they live in as well. And drawing those, yeah, drawing those connections is really fun um, and helping people hopefully have more context for the stuff that they're learning. It made me really happy to get to hang out with them and do that. All right, people can find me on Twitter. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Happy Chinese New Year, by the way, everyone. Happy Lunar New Year. That is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is produced by myself, Cray Allred, and Richard Clark. The music is done by Sweep's, You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts where you can also rate and review the show. You can also get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts as well. And we invite you just to pick whatever app is the best for you. Thank you everyone who supports this show as well by subscribing to Christianity Today magazine. And again, the URL for that is orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right. We will see you all next week. Bye.